This morning I want to continue on the sermon series of St. Luke's on Broadway. And today we want to look at the musical Annie. It's interesting to see how different musicals make it to Broadway. You know, in our very first week we looked at the musical Beautiful. It's the story of Carol King's life. It's a historical story written about her for the purpose of being a musical. Well, last week we looked at White Christmas. It's something totally different. Now you have a fictitious story. It's made into a movie, 1954. It would be over 40 years before it's made into a musical and would make it to Broadway. Annie would start off as a cartoon. It'd be a cartoon for 53 years before it opened on Broadway in 1977. It opened in 1977 and five years later it was made into a movie. Since that time it's been made into three movies. It has had numerous revivals there on Broadway. There's been four national touring companies. Note, Annie has been this incredible success that more than a hundred million people have seen around the world. It all started with Harold Gray. Harold Gray worked for the Chicago Tribune back in the 1920s. He wanted to start producing a cartoon, but he wasn't sure how to find the character he would write about. So he went down to a difficult area in Chicago, and as he was wandering the streets, he came across this little girl. And as he got to visiting with her, well, she was very spunky. She was strong. She obviously had very difficult circumstances where she lived. And yet, she was positive, optimistic. She was full of hope. Her name was Annie. But it turned out in those days, there were 40 comic strips that were based on boys. And there were three that were based on girls. And knowing the culture he was in, he decided to go back and he told his editor, I want to write a comic strip and I want to call it Little Orphaned Otto. The editor listened to him talk about how he'd come up with this whole idea and finally said, go with your gut. And so they changed it to Little Orphan Annie. It came out on August the 5th, 1924. 93 years ago yesterday was the first time that little orphan Annie showed up there in, the, in a comic strip. It was a huge success. A little girl who was spunky, strong, optimistic, positive, hardworking, honest, and always hopeful. He would write Little Orphan Annie for 44 years until he died in 1968. It was four years after Harold Gray died, Thomas Meehan was writing for The New Yorker. He was in his early 40s and he was in a difficult period. He had just gone through a divorce. He was feeling lonely. He had two girls now to support and he was flat broke. A friend of his said, why don't you write a book, a story about Annie? And he thought that was a horrible idea. When you looked at his life feeling lonely and down and discouraged and hopeless, but because he didn't have any better idea, he finally decided to do it. 
And so he started working on writing a book about the story of Annie. And it began to affect his own soul. In two years, he had the story written in 1974. And it was Martin Sharnan, who was a director there on Broadway, who got the book and decided this would be a great musical. And so he cast the parts, and on April the 21st, 1977, Annie opened on Broadway. And it was a huge success. It was nominated for 11 Tony Awards. It would win seven, including Best New Musical, Best Song, Best Book. And as I said, it would run for six years, 2,320 shows, be made into three movies, four national touring companies, many revivals on Broadway, no, a hundred million people knowing the story of Annie. And Thomas Meehan continues to make royalties on Annie through these last 40 years and usually makes somewhere between two hundred dollars and $300,000 a year on royalties every year. Because Annie is said to still be performed seven to 900 times a year here in the United States. All these local theaters all across the country, everybody's still producing Annie. There's something about the message in the show that resonates with people's souls. Now, if you're one of the few people who don't know the story of Annie, let me tell you just a little about it. It's about a 10-year-old girl, 1933. She's in an orphanage. It turns out that she came to the orphanage when she was just a baby. She never met her parents. They simply left a note that said, One day we will be back to get you. And so this little girl is growing up in the most difficult of circumstances. And they start right off singing, It's a Hard Knocks Life. Because it was a hard knocks life. To be an orphan, 1933... We're coming through the Great Depression. You have Miss Hannigan who runs the orphanage, who drinks way too much and is so mean to the children. Life is not easy. And I think that's one of the things that resonates with the message to people everywhere. You know, life isn't always easy. It is a hard knocks life. We all have struggles, things that aren't fair. It's hard. And it was for Annie. But Annie is always positive. She's optimistic. She wants to be strong. But one of the key themes you see start right off early in the show is that Annie is hopeful that one day she will find her parents. That one day she'll have a family. That one day she can love and be loved. It is her dream. You heard Tori singing for us just a few moments ago the song, Maybe. It really tells you what the show is going to be about. I want to read the words again to you. You think about them from a 10-year-old girl in an orphanage singing. Maybe far away or maybe real nearby. He may be pouring her coffee. She may be straightening his tie. Maybe in a house, all hidden by a hill, 
She's playing piano. He's sitting paying a bill. Betcha they're young. Betcha they're smart. Betcha they collect things like ashtrays and art. Betcha they're good. Why shouldn't they be? Their one mistake was giving up me. So maybe now it's time, and maybe when I wake, they'll be there calling me baby. Maybe. Betcha he reads. Betcha she sews. Maybe she's made me a closet of clothes. Maybe they're strict, as straight as a line, don't really care as long as they're mine. So maybe now this prayer's the last one of its kind. Won't you please come get your baby? Maybe. That's exactly how the disciples felt in our scripture lesson this morning. The desire to belong, to have family, to be loved. This morning we read our scripture lesson from the book of John. Most scholars believe that the book of John was written somewhere between 90 and 100. So it's about 60 or 70 years after Jesus has been crucified. Most scholars believe that John is not written by the disciple John, but is written by a disciple of the disciple John. Someone who followed John, who heard him preach, who heard him teach, and they listened to all the things that John had to say And they would then write it down into this gospel of John, probably somewhere near the end of the first century. John is very different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptic gospels. John talks so much more about the mind of Jesus and what he thinks and what he feels. And if you think about the fact that it's being written close to the first century with an early church, the Christian church in mind, then it's easy to understand that when John, the gospel is written, they want to make sure it speaks to the early church what Jesus had to say. What we really have here is Jesus' farewell discourse. From chapter 14 through 17, it's all about Jesus talking about his farewell discourse, what he wants the disciples to know. You don't have anything like that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. No, this is unique to John. Three whole chapters, Jesus' farewell discourse to address the issues of the disciples and the early church. And what are the disciples struggling with? Jesus is going away. They're not going to be with him anymore. What was the early church struggling with? They never saw Jesus face to face. They didn't have the privilege of being in His presence. They felt alone. And so we read in the 14th chapter, the 18th verse, where Jesus says to His disciples, I will not leave you orphaned. Now the word there is orphanos. It's a Greek word. And it literally means fatherless. I will not leave you fatherless. If you read in the Revised Standard Version, it says, I will not leave you desolate. You see, if you were fatherless, you would be desolate. Other versions will say, I will not leave you forlorn. You would be forlorn if you were fatherless. 
But the New Revised Standard Version goes back and actually picks up the real Greek word or phanos and translates it, I will not leave you orphaned. I will come to you. That's what the disciples needed to hear. I know I'm going away. You're going to feel alone, fatherless. But I'm not going to leave you fatherless. I will come to you. You will know the risen presence of Christ. It was the message to the disciples. It's the message that the early church needed to hear. I believe it's the message that you and I need to hear. Why is Annie so popular? Because it's one of those themes that you and I have struggled with all along. We want to belong to a family. We want to be loved. It's a part of the human condition. It's easy to feel fatherless. And so the promise is you're not going to be alone. The risen presence of Christ comes. I will come to you because I live, you will live also. As I began looking at this scripture, as I began looking at this musical Annie, it seemed to me there were two fundamental important themes that are dealt with. And it's the themes that we all resonate with. First of all, it's about loneliness. Everybody knows what it means to feel lonely at different points in your life. You may be surrounded by family. You may be in a big crowd. You can still feel lonely. That's what the show was about. The song, maybe, a little girl in an orphanage who's feeling so alone. But if you notice, we just heard the song, Something is Missing by Daddy Warbucks. Daddy Warbucks is a very wealthy, powerful man of great power, and he's saying something is missing. They set the show up this way so that you have a little girl in an orphanage dying for parents, and you have a very wealthy man saying something is missing. So that the show is trying to say to us, you can be young, you can be old, you can be rich, you can be poor. Girl, boy, everybody can know what it means to be lonely and just struggle. It's fascinating as I started digging into the show and trying to learn more about it. I started looking at all the different people who played Annie originally on Broadway started looking at those who played in the movies and those who played the characters of the, of the orphans. And as I started digging into it, I, what I began to discover was everybody who was in this show the first six years and basically since is incredibly blessed to be a part of the show. They all talk about how meaningful and exciting it is to be Annie or in the show Annie. And how much people talk about when it ends, how lonely they feel. And how for many, it becomes a hard knocks life when the show is done. It all started with Kristen Vigard. Kristen Vigard was actually chosen to be the first Annie on Broadway. You know how a show will go to a city or two and be performing and working out all the kinks before it goes to Broadway. Well, that's what Annie was doing. Kristen Vigard was playing the role of Annie. Two days before they go to Broadway, 
the producer comes in and says, you're too sweet. Annie's got to be more spunky. She's got to be stronger. You're too sweet. I'm taking the role away from you. Now here you are, this little girl who's been playing Annie. You've been practicing. You're going to Broadway in two days. They turn to Andrea McArnold. She was playing at one of the orphans. And Andrea said, you know, every kid knew everybody's lines. It was no problem. They came to her and said, could you play Annie when we open in Broadway? Absolutely. Two days later, she opens as Annie. But can you imagine how Kristen Vigard felt? That close to being the little girl who comes down the stairs in Annie? No, since they're having this 40th anniversary, this is the 40th anniversary of Annie opening on Broadway, they've been having all these different interviews and, and gatherings, and they talked to, to Kristen Vigard and said, how did it feel when you got replaced two days before Broadway? Oh, you know, I, I was able to handle it. I was humiliated. It broke my heart. I cried and cried. And as she's doing this interview, she is weeping. It's 40 years later and she's still crying. And she said, I never got to be Annie coming down those stairs. And I had to leave the cast. I felt so alone. Andrew McArdle, she took over. She did a great job. Nominated for a Tony Award. The youngest person ever nominated for a Tony Award. She was 13 years old. Nominated for her part, playing Annie. She was great. Did a super job. She got to play the part for a year. But at 13, she also started to grow. And she now aged out. She couldn't play a little 10-year-old girl. And at the end of one year, she suddenly had to be replaced. They turned to Shelley Bruce. Shelley Bruce was also an orphan. And so she took over the role of Annie. And she played the part for a year. And then she began to develop and she aged out. And so they turned to another orphan. Her name was Sarah Jessica Parker. How many of you knew that Sarah Jessica Parker was the third Annie on Broadway? You know, the fascinating thing is most of the people who would play Annie or be in the show did not go on to great heights. A few did. Sarah Jessica Parker, she would springboard on into all kinds of movies and TV. There was a couple of others. Molly Ringwald, she was actually in Annie. Melissa Milano, she wound up being an Annie. But that's really about it. Most other people, well, no, they, they would sing on a cruise ship or they'd play in a dinner theater or other kind of things, but they never start on Broadway again, even though they were stars. When Jer Sarah Jessica Parker, about to be aged out at the end of a year, they decided to do auditions. And so they had an open casting auditions for anyone who wanted to come. The part of Annie. It had been playing now for three years. People had seen the show. It had become popular. 360 girls showed up at the theater with the dream of being Annie. 
First thing was, you have to be under 4'9". They measured everybody, 60 went home. They left 300. They watched them sing. They watched them dance. They whittled it to 70. This 70 they took serious. They really listened. They really watched. They tried to see attitude, ability. And then they finally whittled to 12. They actually had all this being recorded. They, they did a documentary on it. And to watch these girls when they heard the news, you may go home. You're not going to be in the show. All these 10, 11, 12-year-old girls weeping, brokenhearted. You just saw their pain. Now there was 12, and they continued to try to figure out which one, and they finally decided on Allison Smith. She was 10 years old, the youngest person to play Annie. And because she was so young, she got to play it longer than anybody else. She played it for three years, a thousand performances. She would continue on to sing and do commercials and a little TV here and there. In her 50s, she said, my dream is still to star in a Broadway production. And I keep thinking someday, maybe it'll happen. For three years, she was a star. They then went to Allison Kirk. She was the last Annie before the show closed at the end of, of six years. There is a special bond among those first six. They even showed it earlier this year up in New York in June. All six of them got together for a reunion. They understand what it's like. They understand. It was a private reunion. Then they went on the TV shows to go and talk and be interviewed, answered questions, but they had their private reunion that only those Annies would understand what it was like to have that part to come down those stairs, to have the applause, and then one day, it's all gone. It turns out that the kids who get to play the orphans, they have the same love and the same passion about it. All the choreographing and the dancing they've done, what it means to be in that family. They're all a family and they're playing and they're having such a great time. All these little girls, they're making more money than their mother and father combined. They're supporting their families. And one day it all stops. They've aged out. And they all talk about how tough it is to go back into the real world. Their flight attendants and teachers and financial planners and moms they all like to get together because they understand what it was like. One of them being interviewed said, you know, it's really hard when you realize that your career peaked when you were 10 years old. It's really hard when you've had this extraordinary experience and then suddenly it's taken from you and you're not a part anymore. You feel alone. That's what happened to the disciples. That's what happened to the disciples. They had had this extraordinary event where they had been with Jesus for three years. They got to be with Him in the flesh. They saw Him feed the 5,000. They saw Him heal a blind man. They saw Him heal a leper. They saw Him raise Lazarus from the dead. 
What an extraordinary event they had. And then it was taken from them. And Jesus was gone. And they felt so alone. But Jesus had told them, I will not leave you orphaned. I will not leave you fatherless or desolate or forlorn. I will come to you. Because I live, you shall live also. The promise and the experience the disciples would be, they would come to know the presence of the resurrected Christ. And even though things had changed and they had felt separated, they no longer felt alone. Secondly, I believe this really deals with the theme of hope. It's about hope. When Martin Sharnan wrote the music and the lyrics and directed the play, the first song they wrote for Annie was Tomorrow. That's what's going to be the basis and the theme of the show, Tomorrow. Is there hope? Even when you have felt alone, when the world is difficult and hard and it's a hard knocks life, do you still believe the sun will come out tomorrow? It would be that issue of hope. And again, I think that resonates with every soul and human being as we have gone through our times that are dark and you feel alone to somehow believe, is there hope that the sun will come out tomorrow? I love the song. The sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow there'll be sun. Just thinking about tomorrow clears the cobwebs and the sorrow till there's none. When I'm stuck with a day that's gray and lonely, I just stick out my chin and grin and say, Oh, the sun will come out tomorrow. So you've got to hang on till tomorrow. Come what may. Tomorrow, tomorrow, I love you tomorrow. You're always a day away. Hope. It's what happened with the disciples when they discovered that they weren't orphans, that the risen presence of Christ had come, there was this hope. It's what happened in the early church at the end of the first century that these people who had never walked with Jesus in the flesh still knew that presence of the risen Christ. They weren't alone in a hard-knock world, and it was a hard-knock world. They didn't feel alone, and they had hope. And it's why all the Romans and the other world looked at the early church and said, what is it about you Christians? With all that you face, you have hope and you have love and you are there for each other. It's what happened with the family of faith because of Christ. It was Shelley Bruce who would have to learn this important lesson. The second Annie on Broadway I told you how she was an orphan first and then when Andrea aged out, she took over as Annie. She got a year before she aged out. That was in 1979 when her year of Annie was over. She went back to school. The limelight, the stage, all suddenly, Shelley Bruce is back at school, a normal girl. Except by 1981, she started feeling so tired 
I mean, here was this girl who had played Annie eight shows a week. She had been playing the parts of the dancing with the orphans there on Broadway. And now she was just so tired. She was feeling so bad, a friend of hers got her to go to the, down to see the nurse at school. They took her temperature. It was about 100.8. They thought maybe she had some sort of infection, sent her to the doctor. The doctor wanted to check on her and thought it's probably mono. So he ran a blood test. And when she came back in to get the results, the doctor had already made an appointment at Sloan Kettering Memorial Hospital and said, I need more tests and I'm afraid it's leukemia. She went to the hospital, and sure enough, they ran the test. And Shelley Bruce, at 16, had leukemia. When they told her what she had, she said, I cried for a day and a half. I just sobbed. I'd never faced death. The doctors told her, said, look, look, you know, 20 years ago, we would have given you three to six months to live. But we've made a lot of progress now by 1981, and you have a 65% chance of making it. That's still a 35% chance of dying. She didn't want to talk to anybody, didn't want to answer the phone. She really struggled. She didn't know that when she went into the hospital for her treatments, it would be 42 days before she ever came out to see the sun again. She went into the hospital to take her chemotherapy and bone marrow transplants and blood transfusion, not knowing what the future would hold. She finally made the decision, I got to deal with this. She was very blessed. She wasn't alone. Her mother just came and moved in. She was there with her. Her father came every night after work. Her grandparents were there every day. And she appreciated so much having family around her, but maybe what she really appreciated was the fact that Andrea McArdle came every day. A friend. Someone who understood. You see, Andrea McArdle was now performing at the St. Regis Hotel. It was not very far away. And so every night when she got through with her act, she came to the hospital at 1 a.m. At 1 a.m., Shelley said, we were used to being up all night long on Broadway. That's the time we were up. And so Andrea would come at 1 a.m., said we made our own visiting hours. And she would come and they would take the IV pole and walk through the hospital and go down to the cafeteria and get sesame chicken out of the vending machine and just hang out. Because Andrea, she understood she understood. And she was there every single day over all the weeks to come. Andrea came. Andrea came when it was Andrea's birthday. She came. When it was Thanksgiving, Andrea came. She didn't miss until Shelley would leave the hospital. And Shelley said that event changes you. It changes you forever. You look at life different. She said, I wasn't afraid of anything anymore, whatever might come. That's what happened to the disciples when the disciples came to discover the risen presence of Christ. 
they weren't alone. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And because I live, you will live also. They were not alone and they found hope. It's what happened for the disciples. It's what happened in the early church. It's what happens for you and me. When it's a hard knocks life, we discover, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Because I live, you shall live also. For Shelley Bruce, she was one of the lucky ones. She survived. The cancer went into remission. She got better. She was stronger. But she was changed. Different. You don't have to be afraid. She's now 52 years old. Married. Couple kids. She's a mom. Her life is different because she finally learned not how to sing the song, but she understood the meaning of the song. When I'm stuck with a day that's gray and lonely, I just stick out my chin and grin and say, Oh, the sun will come out tomorrow. You got to hang on till tomorrow. Come what may, tomorrow. Tomorrow, I love you tomorrow. You're only a day away. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen.